Hello and welcome to another fabulous episode of the Coaches and Leaders Assemble podcast, the podcast for all things coaching, leadership, people and culture with me, Laura Royal, your host from DNA Coach. Can you believe that it's the 18th of December that this episode will be going out? I have absolutely blinked and missed the entire year. And today, I get to share with you as one of the final episodes of this year, another wonderful guest episode, a guest interview with the lovely Kat Patterson on all things quiet leadership as one of her specialist subjects. It's a little bit like mastermind, isn't it? So as always, grab your pen, grab your pad, get note taking for this wonderful episode all about quiet leadership. Enjoy everyone. Hello, lovely Kat Patterson. How are you? I'm very well. Thank you for having me today. Oh, you are very welcome. Thank you so much for joining. So Kat, I'll tell everyone in the audience listening how I know you. We've only ever met in person once on a fleeting moment, but I have quietly stalked you online for quite some time now. <laughs> so it's um, it's been a pleasure to follow you, Kat, because I became a bit of a fan girl of yours when we were in a, I was in a group coaching programme right at the kind of middle of the pandemic, first lockdowns, if you like, and you were a guest speaker and you were talking about how to uh, get your journals and planners out on Amazon KDP. And I bought one of your courses, but you do a multitude of things. So you are a course creator and you do, I mean, I'm not going to steal your thunder. You're going to tell everyone <laughs> who you are. But I just wanted to share that I have followed you for quite some time. We know many of the same people, which is great. And I finally got to meet you in person earlier this year. So just a big thank you from me for joining to talk today about quiet leadership. But before we get into that, Kat, do tell us a wee bit about who you are and what you do and anything else you think would be great for our audience to know. Oh, smashing. Um, what a, what an introduction. And I love a professional stalker. <laughs> I <laughs> feel like I should add that onto my bio. <laughs> love a professional stalker. It's what I love. People watching. How good is that? Is that? <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I do, as you can tell from Laura's introduction there, I do a multitude of things. So there's there's a couple of kind of split personality. I've got a kind of digital side to my business, um, where the KDP, the kind of keeping your brand front of mind comes to mind. But actually the stuff that I do kind of under the radar, and I've been doing it for about 10 years, is behavioral profiling effectively. So um, that's my background. I come from kind of covert world of intelligence. But now um, I get to work with amazing women who I call eager for epic, who have smashed all the glass ceilings and they're just looking for that something else that they know that's on the horizon for them. And we do a little bit of, well, I call it kind of dead and brown your brain. I kind of um, do a bit of brain reprogramming just to make Lovely. life amazing and make you more successful. What's not to like? <laughs> exactly that. And and this is what I thought would be great for you to be able to share because one of the key topics that you mentioned that you talk about is around quiet leadership. And it was a really intriguing topic title for me when we'd first engaged on that because the amount of people that I work alongside in the coaching and leadership space or even in organisations where there's a sort of underlying assumption that you have to be this big effervescent extrovert outgoing loud personality in order to be an effective leader 
And people are still, I feel, still being conditioned to that sort of stereotype. Can we say that? Would that yep. be the thing? And I <laughs> thought, you know, hearing what you do is really powerful for you to be able to share what your take is on that. And of course, all of the other lovely things that you do as well, Kat. So tell us what your thoughts are on quiet leadership. So I suppose I um, people who know me, people in my world know that I am this kind of classic introvert. You know, you rarely see me kind of out in the wild. I'm usually behind a screen, safely in the house with my cup of Vero Grey tea under under a blanket, uh, which sounds very dull. Um, but the reality That's fabulous. is... fabulous. <laughs> it's very cosy, particularly this time of year. Um, but quiet leadership, it's not just for introverts. And I think it's a way of... I suppose playing into your strengths and playing into your preferences. And what I've kind of um, observed over the last, particularly six to seven years, particularly in the online space, but also in the offline space, um, there's this kind of sweeping generalisation coming up, folks. There's this um, view that you need to be very, as you said, very outgoing, very kind of larger than life personality to build an audience, very um, what I would call a dancing bear on social media and actually I'm none of those things and and I fell for it for a while I'm not going to lie I fell for it fell for the trap of that's the only way I can build a business and actually it just feels really out of alignment is that the easiest way to say that Um, and I don't mean that to be a buzzword but the reality is you just think that doesn't work for me um and when I kind of more I delved into that quiet leadership style there's a whole lot of people who are kind of now thinking that doesn't work for me and that business model doesn't work for me or how I do life in general, that's not working for me. There must be an alternative way that plays into my own strengths. And that's really what quiet leadership is all about. It's not to say that um, the kind of charismatic, extroverted, very out there doesn't work. That works for some people, but it doesn't work for everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's certainly what I come across. I come across many people who have ambition, who would like to, you know, take on more responsibility or look for alternative opportunities, but sometimes feel they don't have a place in order to be that person because there's that assumption that you have to be something that that person might not be. And there's space for everyone at the table, isn't there? When we think about styles and, you know, we're so individual. I mean, no two people are the same and what a dull old world it would be if we were. (laughs) Looking at people's individual strengths that you've mentioned there, I think is really important. Um, So I, I absolutely agree with that completely. Yeah, I mean, you want to give people the opportunity and you know what it's like when you start to kind of look at, um, you know, particularly when you're you kind of running your life, running your business, running your career, you're looking for those role models and invariably it's slightly skewed when you're kind of looking on the internet um, that it's quite a lot of the kind of louder characters that are obviously seen and heard and again, brilliant, but don't sit there and think, oh, that's the only way I need to do that and then it just feels really heavy and um, it just feels like a burden or you're wading through a treacle trying to be something that you're not. Um, and actually, people love it when you are who you are unapologetically um, yeah. and just do it your way. But, and I yeah. know that sounds really, I'm making that really simple, but that's the reality of it. Yeah. And I like that sort of straightforward way of thinking. So how would someone at this moment in time, so for any of our listeners However, a person might define themselves or describe themselves in terms of behavioural style or profile, for example. How would we tap into our quiet leadership approach? What what would we what would we do? What would we say in those circumstances? How would we 
how would we demonstrate that? Sure. So there's kind of four pillars um, to quiet leadership. Uh, there's probably more, but I, again, I like things quite simple and four seems a nice little number. <laughs> um, so the first one is really obvious. It's listening, but I'm talking about deep listening, not just hearing, actually listening, because if you can actively listen in your leadership style, um, and encourage others to do that. What you're actually doing is focused on the people. So if you've got a team or you're working with other people, really understanding people, um, listening empathetically uh, to build that trust because then today our organisations in our life doesn't work without other people. <laughs> you know? So actually, why not listen to them? We think sometimes we're listening and really we're not. So that's the first pillar I would say is listening. The second pillar is self-reflection. Now, I don't mean to say uh, navel-gazing. I think some people can get stagnated with just <laughs> kind of reflecting on all the things. And I don't mean that. It's just taking the time, carving out the time, because we know that life moves at a tremendous pace. But if we don't actually take the time to, to stop, pause and think, what worked there or what didn't work there or what went well, um, being able to being able to kind of carve out that time to really self-reflect on what is my leadership style? How did that go? How did I interact with that person? How did I make those decisions? Um, and it sounds a wee bit kind of like, oh, cat, I've not got time for that. But actually, it's almost like slowing down to speed up a little bit. Um, yeah. And if we're, I always kind of think it's fine if you're running fast, you know, but if you're running fast in the wrong direction, then it's just a waste of time anyway. So actually building in that time, giving yourself time and space to just stop and and reflect on what's gone before, whether that's every quarter, whether that's every six weeks, whatever that looks like for you. Um, obviously, I like to do that in my own business as a CEO a couple of days out into a lovely hotel with a spa. So there are benefits to doing a bit of self-reflection. Like <laughs> yeah. um, the third pillar is empathy. So we've talked about you and, and you'll have guests on your, your podcast, Laura, that talk about, I'm sure, emotional intelligence. Mm -hmm. And it's not really about having, you know, some people talk about an emotional intelligence and having a volume of it, like buckets of it. But actually, it's just about being able to navigate some of those more complex people situations. Um, yeah. And, you know, emotional intelligence has a spectrum as well. So it's being able to tap into that. I'd say that's the third pillar. And the fourth one is a bit of humility. You might be in a leadership position. Um, and I think... Traditional leaders um, have been rewarded for, well, you're next in line, you're the next leader, you must have all the knowledge, you must be the best at what you do. And sometimes yeah. leadership, it's not about rewarding somebody for knowledge, it's about the, those skill sets and those listening abilities and self-reflection abilities and emotional intelligence that actually makes them the great leader. And I think there's quotes, and forgive me, I can't remember um, who to credit it to, but it's very much about when you're the leader, people don't work for you, you work for people. Because if you get mm -hmm. the people bit right, then actually everything else naturally falls into place. Then you can do all the tasks, then you can do all the KPIs, then you can do all the marketing and, and all the hit all the targets. But if you don't get the people right in the first place, none of that really matters. So that's the four pillars, listening, self-reflection, emotional intelligence or empathy and uh, humility. I love that, Kat. And it's nice and straightforward, isn't it, when we hear how you have shared those four qualities, those mm -hmm. four behavioural attributes even. And there's, a, I feel actually really strongly about some of these things as well. And you and I have spoke about this briefly before because a lot of these are untapped mm. potential areas for people. You know, I certainly know that from a reflection perspective, 
encouraging people in the workspace to be more reflective from an individual perspective as a as a great leadership quality, but also for people at all levels is hugely critical in order for us continuing to make changes, improvements, move forward, learn from it, whatever that might look like for that person. Reflection is sometimes, it's funny because you said navel-gazing earlier, it's a big <laughs> chuckle. But it's one of those things I feel that some people feel they don't have time to do that. I don't have mm. time to reflect. But if we create that space for self-reflection, there's so many benefits to that, surely. Oh, absolutely. I think where people go wrong effectively is that they think, oh, I'm going to take time to reflect, but they don't put a structure around it, you know, almost yeah. treat it like a like an actual activity where you put if you put a bit of boundaries and a bit of structure around it, so then then there's a process almost. Maybe that's just yeah. my logical brain, but then it means you're not just kind of sitting staring into space, which is lovely, um, but it doesn't really achieve anything or you're kind of thinking back. Um, but yeah, putting a bit of structure around your self-reflection and, and there is no magic time fairy that comes along and makes time for you. You need to put it in as a non-negotiable piece of work effectively if you treat it like a thing that's in your diary that actually exists that's in the calendar that you must do rather than glossing over it um yeah why would you not do that and back to that point you know if you're running fast brilliant but if you're running fast in the wrong direction that's there's a lot to undo and a lot to relearn and a lot to kind of um refocus into the right direction so why not build that in as as part of your normal every day or every month or every bi-monthly you know activities yeah and I like how you said as a CEO in your business you really purposefully take that time to do that and you you then carve out that environmental space where perhaps you're reflecting at your best you know you said you go off and spend a few days and (laughs) have a spa at the same time so I mean some people listening might not have the luxury to do that but just even listening to your example of how you do that and and the location that you you choose for that it can be really vital I suppose in order to get the best out of that time that you're investing I, I totally agree. Yeah, you're right. I mean, I, I always, it's very purposeful. I mean, obviously there's a spa and there's wine involved <laughs> that kind of make it a little bit more, yeah, you know, one must push on through. <laughs> um, but in the reality, I think it's about um, changing up your environment, I think is probably the most important part of that process. Don't try and do it in your office space, um, whether that's in a, in a very kind of sterile room or whether that's your even your normal office at home if you're working from home. You know, even even taking an hour out or an hour and a half and going to a coffee shop, you know, with a with a few kind of prompt of questions, even though you've got that kind of buzz in the background, you know, you can do it easily. Uh, you could do it sitting on a park bench if that's your thing, you know, getting out into nature and doing a bit of walking first. So, there's a million and one ways to do it. It's just about finding the right thing for you. But you're right, it's about being pur- purposeful about it and being really intentional about what is it that I'm trying to achieve. And you can do it in half an hour or you can do it over 40 hours, whatever whatever works for you. Great. These are great ways to think about it, Kat. And, and something as well, that when we spoke before, there's some nice synonymous links here to the, the world of psychological safety, which I'll, mm. I'll come to in a moment. And I think that was really important. And when you said that, my little face lit up because I'm <laughs> passionate about creating those you know safe cultures in organisations where every single person can show up and be themselves. And often I find in business in particular, the people that are maybe not feeling supported looked after psychologically safe are often the ones from that first pillar that you mentioned feel like they're not being listened to 
Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it's paramount, psychological safety. And that, and that's the thing. I think sometimes it can be, I've certainly heard conversations where people have interpreted that psychological safety as, oh, we have to mollycoddle people or we have to protect people. And I'm like, no, it's a complete opposite of that. It's about creating a safe sandbox, effectively, where it's okay to make mistakes yeah. and you're not punished for them. It's about what's the learning, you know, we all get scabby knees when we fall off our bike um, and we get back on it again. So why would we not continue that? And I get that that's risky. It's risky in um, organisations. I think what's happened over time is people think, oh, I've not got time for that. You just need to be perfect. You know, when I employ you, uh, you have to be amazing straight out of the box. And we forget that there's development. And if we're not allowed to fail safely, then we're not promoting a learning culture. Um and the people that we work with, the people in our teams, and um, even the people in our lives, we're not allowing people to do that because all you're doing is if they make a mistake and, you, and there's that kind of reactive punishment effectively, or people are not listened to as to understanding why that's happened. Guess what? People leave managers. We know this. They don't leave organisations. They just think, done here. You know, if that's how I'm going to be treated, I'm not going to be treated like that. And I think... I've certainly noticed the gap shortening um, over the last two, three years um, because people are choosing different, making different choices for themselves, whether it's working from home, working differently, different career choices. And if we don't, if we don't stay tuned into that, we're missing a trick. We're missing a trick for people to be absolutely flourishing and amazing at what they do and what they bring to the party. Yeah, so we spend an incredible amount of time at work, don't we? It should mm. be a space and an environment that we can just show up and be treated like all human beings that we are. And, you know, and from a simplest and my mindset goes to let's treat people as human beings. Let's not treat people like a payroll number or let's treat <laughs> people like a bum on seat, whatever that might be. Yeah. And that again taps into that reflection culture as well, doesn't it, Kat, around that that learning opportunity in the workplace because we don't always get things right first time. And again, there's a nice link there too. If we didn't get it right that first time, how do we reflect on that? But also meeting people at that emotionally intelligent, empathetic level, that understanding, okay, you didn't get that right. It's not the end of the world. Perhaps in that moment, we can look at what did we learn that we can take forward and do differently, more of, less of, whatever that might be. Um, yeah. So all links to those those four pillars of quiet leadership that you mentioned beautifully, I think. Yeah, and I also think I think um, controversially, leaders. If you're in a leadership position, um, and somebody has made a mistake, and we're always looking at the person, okay, what what's gone wrong there? What can be learned? Maybe there's a failing on your part. Dun, dun, dun. Do you know? Maybe we also <laughs> have to kind of consider actually, what have I not done in my leadership style, or what have I not done to support that person? Um, yeah. And human learning is really complex. Not everybody learns the same way. We know this. But if we only focus on the the kind of what the market looks like, what the managers look like, what the metrics are, what the KPIs are, and all those are important things. Because at the end of the day, you know, particularly if you're running um, a business where, you know, the bottom line counts, all of those things are really important. But instead, why don't we focus on the people, the attributes, the preferences, the resilience, the culture, and then it's a great place to work. And then people actually want to come to the work because, as you said, we spend an awful lot of time there. <laughs> so why would we not enjoy it? Um, or 
feel that we're contributing to something that's bigger than ourselves. And I always say, um, you know, to have great leadership, we also need great followership. So how do we create yeah. that as leaders? How do we create that? Because not everybody wants to be a manager. Not everybody wants to be in a CEO position or a C-suite or a leader. Not everybody wants that. They want to be really good at what they do. So we need both to work hand in hand. And I think those four pillars lend themselves both at being a good follower and being a good leader. I couldn't agree more with that, Kat. <clears throat> Excuse me. So getting passionate there is going to be tear in my eye. <laughs> Too much talking already. That's what it is for me today. There we go. So I think those pillars are really key. And I think if we're thinking about how we establish that culture in organisations, what would be your top tip, Kat, for anyone listening on how we can encourage people that maybe are a little bit more reserved perhaps maybe more mild-mannered in nature maybe quieter in style that are feeling mm, do you know what well, I'm, I'm comparing myself to the person who's next to me who's not like me mm -hmm. and they're going to go for it and and you know get that next role and you're right it doesn't have to be a leadership role that can be ambition to be the best that you are in the role that you are within yeah what would be your top tips though for those people that are maybe feeling a little bit hesitant about putting themselves forward for the next position or a piece of um, opportunity for leadership yeah I mean I, there's a I mean there's a big strategic picture here about kind of culture and organizations and that that's a longer piece of work but actually on the individual level it starts with a conversation and it starts with sticking your hand up and it starts with maybe having a conversation with a manager and again I'm not saying that as if that's a straightforward or easy thing to do again there's a lot at stake in those conversations but I think until you take ownership of it and have a conversation to say here's you know if it's an appraisal or if it's a development opportunity whatever that looks like I think it's about that ownership of thinking I want something different here and I want something to change who are the role models? Are there any role models within where you work at the moment or within the kind of business circles that you you currently are that allow you to maybe have a conversation to, to speak to them about how they went about it? But really, I think it's about taking a wee bit of ownership and starting to speak to managers and, and making it known. You know, when we make it visible, when we make the, the unconscious conscious, then we can do something about it. Um, and I get that that's difficult, you know, especially for the quieter kind of people who like to lurk in the background and just do their job quietly. But if something feels off or you're not enjoying something, what other option do you really have? You can leave quietly. You can go and join another organisation. Um, I always say you can run away to the circus, but you'll, you'll always be there. <laughs> so actually, how do you have a conversation with a manager to say, do you know, I'm kind of interested in something different here or doing something different within my current role or doing, you know, taking on more responsibility. How can I do that? How can I start to do that? But um, being recognised for my own preferences and strengths. And, you know, you might hit a brick wall. And I think it's about finding, back to what I said, finding those people that you can see a role model and because they do exist. They're, they're quietly working away. Um, and it's those people to start to have a conversation with. Yeah. Again, one of the things that I love about what you've said, I could talk to you about this stuff all day, Kat, <laughs> really could, is that role modelling opportunity, isn't it? Because we've probably all got people at the forefront of our minds who have 
almost been maybe mentors in our workplace or somebody that we recognised perhaps a quality in that we really enjoyed about their company, their presence, their style, their behaviour, how they engaged, that we thought, you know what, if I get to that position or, you know, how would I want to be viewed? I would like to, to demonstrate that as well. I know in my career, I had a fantastic leader. Her name was Tracy, Tracy Smith. I love her dearly. I talk about it all the time. I always wanted to be like Tracy when I grew up. And <laughs> there was just something formidable about her nature in terms of just having some great qualities that I really admired. And that role modeling behavior really rubbed off on me. But likewise, I also had some really poor role models who <laughs> didn't demonstrate psychological safety, who, you know, had great strengths, but were just really, let's be brutal here and frank, really shitty in their style. Yeah. You know, the, the type of people that you would not want to be around in any circumstance or any um, situation or context. So it's about finding those role models because they will be there in the organisation. I think you're absolutely right on that. Yeah, I think the other thing you mentioned a really important point there, um, and maybe the starting point, maybe you maybe you can't visibly see those role models for you yet, and you're thinking, oh, there's nobody, there's nobody that I'm working beside or in my business circles that that kind of fulfills that role for me. Maybe the good starting point is knowing what you don't want to be like when you grow up. <laughs> Do you know, exactly. it's, taking, <laughs> it's spotting those pretty poor role models because I'm not sitting here in an ivory tower. Hands up, I got it wrong. I got it wrong so many times, um, kind of learning, you know, and, and doing the leadership thing and thinking, right, that didn't land. Why is that not landed? And it was probably because I was trying to copy somebody else who I thought was doing a good job or on the surface and actually, you know, creating absolute mayhem in their wake. Um, so then you kind of think, OK, that doesn't work. <laughs> a little bit of self-awareness, a little bit of self-regulation. Let's try again and I think that's about it you know you've just got to be open and I think own your mistakes own the fact that you don't get it right all the time and um, because we don't get it right all the time because people are complex people are beautiful messy human beings um, yeah. and there's not a there's not a solution you know that fits one size fits all or even for the same person it could be the, a different solution on a different day so I think maybe that's a good starting point is knowing what you don't want to be like in terms yeah. of your leadership style actually shows you then the gaps of oh actually there's an alternative so yeah that's what that's yeah. what I would suggest <laughs> I like that a lot and it's just recognizing those moments isn't there there's something that you said there about the links back to that humility piece there as well doesn't mm. it being able to own your own mistakes because there will be times I'm sure when all of us haven't got it right and and even though I've been doing what I've been doing for a very long time and likewise yourself Kat but we're fallible human beings aren't we yeah. we don't get it right but being able to recognise in those moments, you know what, I made a mistake there or that wasn't right or appropriate and I'm sorry for that and I'll learn from that and that, you know, this is what I'll do differently. That humility aspect really aligns in nicely with what you, you shared earlier. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing lovelier than people just seeing, being seen and and being heard. You know, that's what kind of transforms anything really it's as simple as that when we are seen and heard and we take ownership for the stuff that we get right and for the stuff that we don't get right I mean it, again it, it, we talk about communication everybody talks about communication but actually what does it mean it means listening really well and it means being empathetic and as you say that that fourth pillar of humility of do you know what sometimes I get it right and 
when I don't, I'm going to own it and I'm going to apologise for it and then we're going to find a solution for it. And that's the thing, when you apply those four pillars, the outcomes, I mean, it's exponential. You know, it's you get better communication. People feel more amazing at their work. They actually want to give you more of themselves because they really enjoy what they do. They have their own empathy. You can resolve conflicts quicker, easier, and more efficiently for people when you hold that space. Your planning, your decision making, everything when you put that people focus on those four pillars right at the core of what you do and always reflect on that because I can pretty much guarantee when it goes wrong, if you if you reflect, you think, what, what one of those pillars have I either overlooked or forgotten about briefly? Anchor back to that. And when you anchor back to that, kind of gives you the solutions to be able to just have a, a pretty decent conversation with people. People, beautiful, messy human beings. <laughs> I love that. And again, thinking about those four pillars as a way to sort of reference back to it, I didn't really think of it in that way, Kat, until you've highlighted it there, that you know, in those moments where we maybe didn't get something right, let's review these four pillars. What, what one of those would that fall within? And again, what's our learnings and our reflections on that in itself? I think that's a really great way to look at it, Kat. Love that. Yeah. Now, I do have a question that's a bit of a curveball, if oh. that's okay. So <laughs> Go for it. I don't often put people on the spot, but I thought I had a lovely one. <laughs> but you're it, Steve. Um, I had a very lovely conversation with someone earlier this morning. And what we're talking about is situational contexts where you may or may not feel at your best. And thinking about how we show up as, again, human beings. And that there's often an element where people sort of use the word confidence as or just be confident in that area and for me there's a certain assumption I think that people make that confidence again is about bravado or ego or you know puffing our chest out and we walk onto a stage and you know we've got our arms out and it's look at me aren't I great but actually there can be an element of confidence that's more about comfort what are we okay with what are we comfortable in terms of the situations or the context that we find ourselves in and when people might not be feeling inverted commas confident where could they perhaps find an element of comfort that may bring along some of that confidence? I don't know if you've got any thoughts on any of that at all. And I know that's completely purple <laughs> and just landed right on your plate. But anything around confidence within quiet leadership, anything around that that you've you know, came across before? Yeah, I mean, I think confidence is, is such an interesting concept because, as you say, people either think you've got it or you don't, and that feels very mm-hmm. black and white. Um, for me, it's a bit more nuanced than that, and it's a bit like, and you've probably heard this analogy before, it's a bit like going to the gym, isn't it? So confidence is a muscle, um, yeah. and unless you unless you practice it, you don't strengthen that muscle. So if you go to the gym and you're, you're you know, you're day one and you decide I'm going to lift weights – guess what? You're going to lift those weights. You're going to not be able to lift that much and your muscles in two days' time are going to feel like they're ripping apart because you've worked a muscle that you've not done before. Confidence yeah. isn't really much different from that and I think it's it's holding the space for the vulnerability bit of when you take the, take the risk to do something that's a wee bit, I'm not one for dragging people out of their comfort zones. I like to call it keeping on your learning edge. So there's a familiar, familiarity and a bit of it where there's a safety Bit, and then there's that edge of, do you know what? I'm gonna, I'm just gonna try something new today, and it might go well or it might go spectacularly wrong. Um, and I'm okay with holding that vulnerability of that's been a bit painful, but you know, I'm gonna go again. So I think confidence for me is 
it's the practice of it. You have to practice at it. Um, and if you've not done, you know, what is it they say? You know, the thing that's most frightening to people isn't death; it's public speaking. <laughs> Do you right. Know? That's, that's <laughs> right. So, but if we don't, if we don't go and practice that, then how can we possibly know? And I think confidence comes from it's just the knowing. I mean, I'm very much I know that I don't really enjoy public speaking. Can I do it? I push absolutely. Does it terrify me? No, it doesn't. But I also know that I've done it often enough. I think, do you know, that's just not for me. It's just not my gig. I'm, I'm okay on things like this, you know, podcasts and interviews and all these kind of things. But actually just kind of standing, listening to my own voice, that's not coming from a, a place of lack of confidence. It's just a, do you know what? That's not my preference. But if it's holding you back in terms of your confidence, then you can work on that. But you need to be intentional about it. So so I don't know if that answers your question or gives you a different does, perspective yeah. on it. No, I love that. Yeah, yeah. just a bit of muscle memory. <laughs> I do. I, I really get that um, principle massively. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then I think that part about that vulnerability that you mentioned there, again, links back to that safe space that we find ourselves in, in terms of psychological safety, but also that emotional intelligence, empathy, listening part, again, from the pillars that you mentioned. So, yeah. you know, it's okay to admit to someone, you know what, I, I've, I've made a mistake or put our hand up and say, I, I've got this wrong or I don't know something or I'm stuck and I need help or I need support. And those can be quite vulnerable things that mm. we say out loud to someone else, let alone admit to ourselves. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, being met with empathy, being met with listening, with being met with understanding and being met with support, you know, in those in those moments where we might feel at our most vulnerable, I think is really important. Yeah, and I think as well, the world, unfortunately, is kind of geared up for you get one shot you know, that seems to be the kind of feeling about it. You get one shot and if you don't do it well. And also there's there's this kind of belief that we need to be able to step out of the packet brand new and know everything. And I'm thinking, what happened What happened to the years of learning and the, and the kind of putting in the effort and putting in a wee bit of um, time in order to, de- to de- develop a skill or to develop a strength, yeah. you know, that we already maybe have naturally, but actually how do we develop that? Um, and sometimes there's that vulnerability around, oh, if I don't get right this, this right first time, I'm going to be judged for it or I'm going to be viewed as a failure. And I think there's that bigger picture, not just within business or within organisations. Actually, how can we be more empathetic for people asking for help or saying, do you know what? I gave that a bash and that wasn't maybe my best moment, you know, um, but let me have another go at it. Give me give me the, some of the feedback. Let me have another go at it. And that's how we get better as human beings. We don't need to be brilliant straight out the packet. But if you are brilliant, yeah. <laughs> I'm not. Yeah. I'm not. I need to put in the work. I need to put in the hours to, to learn a new skill or, or whatever that looks yeah. like. But yeah, yeah. A, bit of, a bit of empathy goes a long way. It really does. Kat, what you've shared today has been absolutely wonderful. And genuinely, I could talk to you about this for hours on end. If there were things that you were leaving our audience with today, some final thoughts, anything else that you haven't told us about yet that you think, oh gosh, I must tell the audience this before we go. Now is your chance. What what would that be? (laughs) I would just say, if you're that person who's sitting thinking, I am not, oh, I'm not that charismatic, um, outgoing leader, don't don't let that opportunity pass you by because you're not that. Make different choices for yourself and know, know out there that there are other styles of leadership and that you might be just that perfect person. Don't don't limit your abilities and your skills and your opportunities by those beliefs because you're looking out and you're only seeing seeing one version of reality. Um 
make a different choice. Make a different choice. Love that, Kat. Thank you so much. Now, how do our lovely listeners get to find you? So, of course, you do some coaching and consulting work in your own organisation. I'm sure people might want to engage with you on all of the other wonderful things that you <laughs> offer in terms of, of services. How do we find the lovely cat? So um, you can find me at catpatterson.com. I'm going to spell my name because it's cat with a C and Patterson with one T. <laughs> Spend my life saying that. So catpatterson.com. If you want to hop over there, you can join my magical world, as I always like to say. Come into my magical world, have a nosy around and yeah, choose your own adventure. I love it. You've got some fantastic uh, branding as well, Kat. Of course, <laughs> I joined you on Zoom earlier. We had a little bit of a face-to-face <laughs> chat and I was looking at your sweater and I was like, where did you get that? And it's your own branded jumper. You could start selling that merch. It's fabulous. Hey, it's definitely in the pipeline. <laughs> I love that. Listen, can I be one of your first customers? That's honestly... So even, even at the absolute minimum, head over to Kat's website just to see what all your branding and stuff is and as well as, of course, all of the wonderful things that you provide I really love the time you spent today Kat I think you're just a lovely human being and I think that's what this world is all about isn't it just being able to share those spaces where people have got some lovely things to share to help others be at their personal and professional best it's something that I'm very passionate about and I know that you are too so thank you so much for joining me today Thank you. That was so kind of you. And what a a joy. And no doubt we will have more conversations. (laughs) Absolutely. That's it. Let's have more in-person conversations with with the spa and drinking wine. That sounds great. I'm in. (laughs) I'm in, definitely. Now, for anyone that does want to get involved and uh, joining Cat's World, as always, in today's show notes, you will find all of the information to get in touch with Kat. So please do reach out. Of course, as well, for our listeners that are subscribers, there will be a complimentary uh, toolkit. Couldn't remember what the name of it was now. (laughs) Complimentary. I don't think I've had enough cups of tea today, Kat, so far. (laughs) A complimentary toolkit, which explores a couple of questions around each of the four pillars that Kat shared on quiet leadership. So as always, one or two pages for our subscribers. How do you subscribe? We'll head on over to www.dnacoach.co.uk forward slash podcast. Get yourself on our mailing list and we will send that out for your delightful selves. As always, thanks everyone for listening and thank you, Kat, once again for joining us today. Have a smashing rest of your week. Brilliant. Take it easy. Bye for now.